Welcome to the Social Lights podcast with Kate Vandervoort, where I interview changemakers and innovators on how they connect with their tribe on social media. Brought to you by Social Mediology. Welcome to episode 47 of the Social Lights podcast. I am here today with Brandon C. White, who is an entrepreneur with two exits so far, angel investor, former venture capitalist, and worked in marketing at a $200 billion internet company, AOL. Sure, we all remember AOL. Brandon started his professional career in technology as a pioneer on the internet in 1996 and as the founder CEO of Worldwide Angler. Worldwide Angler was recognized as the number one social networking and e-commerce site for sport fishermen on the internet. Brandon bought his company back from the investors and led it to a successful exit to a large media company. He's the editor of a Build a Business Success Secrets print newsletter and host of accompanying podcast. Both are inner playbooks on how to master your mind, care for your body and build a successful business. The formula to make you smarter, happier and richer. Brandon lives in Half Moon Bay, California, and enjoys road biking, surfing, fly fishing, and going fast. Welcome, Brandon. It is great to have you here today. Well, thanks so much, Kate. I really appreciate it. And thanks for that kind introduction. I really don't like hearing all that stuff about myself. Oh, we never do. (laughs) Well, I am really looking forward to diving in and finding out all about this amazing community that you've built. But before we get into that, tell me, what is it that lights you up? What inspires you to get out of bed in the morning? Well, I I found over the years that my why is I just like to compete. And I am driven by a very, today, today, today is Monday here while we're recording, Kate. I know it's Tuesday for you, but um, so I'm, I'm a little bit low on energy, but I am generally very, very intense and I just love competing and seeing how much better I can be with myself. And I think that's just what gets me up every single morning. I I actually, I love sleeping because you get to rest, but I, I'm always anxious when I go to sleep because I can't wait to get up the next morning. Wow. That's a um, great endorsement for sleep, but for waking up in the morning. (laughs) Every morning. Great to be so driven. Um, so tell us a little bit about your journey up until um, launching the Worldwide Angler community. Well, I started my first entrepreneur endeavor with my brother when I was about 12 years old selling lemonade. Um, and that's only halfway joking. But fast forward, I... Um, went to college and thought that I was going to become a lawyer. And I actually didn't think that. So I I think as you get older, you start to peel back the onion, you really work on yourself, you start to understand yourself more. And what I realized looking back, and maybe everyone else knew it too, but they just went along with it is in college, everybody wants to know what you're going to do when you graduate college. And, you know, are you going to become a lawyer? Are you going to be a doctor? Are you going to be, I don't know, a psychiatrist, whatever you're going to be, everybody asks you. And I really didn't like the question. So I just told everybody I was going to be a lawyer. Now, my grandfather did own a law firm or was a managing partner and started it of a large law firm. So I had a place to go. But what I found was, was that when 
someone asked me that question and I said, I'm be a lawyer. I didn't get any more questions. It was easy, but I didn't do anything to become a lawyer. I was a psychology major with a sociology minor. I didn't intern at any law firms during college. I worked on a tree nursery and a landscaping company. And I, I didn't do anything, but you know, it shut everybody up when they would ask me that. So then I did graduate college. I went back to the tree nursery. I have dyslexia, so I can't take a standardized test to save my life, candidly. And it's probably what, not probably, it's what has created that drive, I believe. I, I'm probably genetically have some genetics that way, but I think dyslexia just creates this struggle to do things early in your life. And and it pushes you so hard that you realize that you can do it. So you just keep doing that. So anyway, I, I did terrible in the LSTATs. I was National Honor Society student who can't pass an LSTAT, but, or can't do well on that test. And I went back to working in the tree nursery and I grew up with a single, was raised by a single mom. And I think what she saw was a son who she had made a lot of sacrifices for, definitely loved but didn't want to get lost. And she said, you got to go back to school. I do not care what you do, but go back to school that the, the whole environment will open up opportunities that you don't know right now because you're, you're stuck in this daily grind, so to speak. So I did, I went back, I, I started, uh, I actually did terrible on my GREs, which are tests you take to get your master's and uh, outside of a profession, so to speak, at least here in the United States. And but I was Psychi National Honor Society and I was president as an undergraduate. So they knew that there was something off when I can't score well. So I got in and uh, entered into a master's degree in psychology. And during that time, uh, I used to read every morning, Kate, and I'd read everything I could. And, and I still read because when I was a kid, I couldn't read. I mean, I struggled to read with dyslexia. I can't sound out words. It was I was slow. Um, so then once I figured out how to read, I read everything I can. And I, I read an article in the front of Time magazine. This dates me a little bit, but um, it had new and innovative things that they would write in the front of that magazine. It was everything from technology, which was sort of new in the, in the early 90s to, or mid 90s to, I don't know, a product company. But it had an article about Jerry Yang and David Philo. And it talked about how they were building this internet for the, I mean, this phone book for the internet called Yahoo. And I had used that and said they raised $1.75 million or something from a, a venture capital firm in Silicon Valley called Sequoia Capital, probably one of the most successful firms out there. And I read that and said, you know, I'm going to start something. And I had been a fisherman my entire, really, since I, I don't know, I was little. And then through college, I fished. And I had an idea that I wanted to write a, or publish a fishing magazine, a print fi fishing magazine. And I'd gone to the local printer and it was very clear to me after the hundred questions that he asked me, which I'm grateful to this day that he was kind enough because he knew what he was doing. Uh, I'm sure he wanted to sale, but I only had like $800 in my, in my savings account. So there was no way that I was going to be able to afford to print a magazine so I had gone to the, started hanging out in the computing lab and I had, was a self-taught engineer, so to speak. I had a VIC-20 and a Commodore 64 and I, I can remember writing code and it was cool. And I was on the internet in college and I, I was like, why can't I just put a magazine online? 
like there's people here, there's communities. And back then there were message boards. Really not a lot has changed candidly, uh, other than the technology is a lot faster, uh, a little bit more sophisticated and a little bit easier to use. But in many ways, you know, Reddit reminds me of the early BBS boards, but I said, why can't we just put this magazine online? So I hired a kid out of there. I got a part-time job to pay him. And I started to write this fishing magazine that I had envisioned on quote unquote, the internet. This is about 1996. And when I read that article, going back to that time magazine article, I was like, let's raise money. These guys raise money They're And they were hand jamming Yahoo at the time. It wasn't an algorithm. We were on flat files for, geeks out there that would, for non-geeks, that would be like handwriting on paper with pencil and whiteout. I mean, you know, compared to the technology that we have today, that's typing on a computer and it spell checks and does everything for you. But uh, we started out and um, I got a book from Barnes and Noble with my then girlfriend, now wife, on how to write a business plan. I wrote a business plan and we've started sending out. We had no idea what we were doing, Kate, like none. Uh, we just, I read that thing. I wrote this old school business plan. I reached out to a person who was in the alumni magazine and he was interested. I said, Hey, we're raising money. He was a fisherman and he had graduated after me, but he said, I had lunch with a guy today. One day he calls me, he said, I had lunch with a guy today and he uses your site. And I think that you should meet him, but I didn't give him your information because I respect your privacy. You know, I understand that, that, that you might not want to. And I was like, yeah, sure. Give like it to when him. Privacy was a thing. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, like, yeah. Human privacy, right. And, and human, whatever you want to call it, um, boundaries. But, um, so two, three, two or three hours later, I get an email it says, Hey, this is Tom. I re just retired I was a managing partner at a firm that you might have heard of called Sequoia Capital. Uh, I heard about your website and I'd like to come see you. Now, you can imagine starting a company, not knowing what you're doing and getting an email like that, you sort of don't believe it. I mean, truthfully, it's, it's hard to believe. So I was like, yeah, here's my address. Come. He's like, I'll be there tomorrow. Sure enough. Next morning, get a knock on the door. And he's like, Hey, it's Tom. So I'm like, Oh, hi, come on in. And he said, I said, let me take you to my office. We walked upstairs to my spare bedroom and he looked around Kate. And he looked at me, he looked around again. And he said, is this all you have now? About at that moment, I feel like I'm about 150 degrees uh, with heat coming off. Cause I'm panicking that he comes here expecting a lot more. I take him in my spare bedroom. So my answer was pretty simple. Hey, look, I'm sorry. You know, I can take you to my partner's spare bedroom, but he has an office too. And I said, but I, I really want to apologize. If you came here looking for something bigger, this is, this is us. And he said, just relax. This is how we found Cisco. And um, he said, you look so big. And I had all the phones rigged even back then. So, you know, you go through this, you'd have to go through a menu and, and it looked professional. We went to LaunchGate. We did the business after I, after we wrote this 55 page business plan along with financials for five years, 
he turns over the placemat and we do the business plan on the back of the placemat. And the back of the placemat was people, product, market, and financing. And those are the four things that we went through. And he folded up that placemat and put it in his pocket. I said, hey, do you want to go fishing? He's like, sure. So we went fishing, went back, hooked up my boat, boat and we go fishing. And on the way back, he says to me, how much money do you guys have in your business checking account? And I said, well, I really don't know. And here's why. Because we've been trading stocks to fund the company. And he said, what? I was like, yeah, we trade stocks. So I was like, we could have 2000 a day or we could have 20000 um, We do build websites for people to, to help fund our, our online magazine is what we called it. I said, but, you know, we do that. He, he just sort of had a smile, but not really. So now I'm like, oh, wow, you know, this isn't going to go well. But we caught some fish. I got lunch, met this guy who, you know, I had basically read about, you know, Silicon Valley for a person living on the East Coast of the United States. Silicon Valley is, is a planet away, not just across the United States. I mean, it was really far away in many other ways than just distance for someone like for me at that, at that time. And he pulls out his checkbook and I see him writing. I'm trying to focus on driving and he hands me a check and it's $50,000. And he said, let's go. And that is how I started the online fishing magazine, quote, community site, quote, e-commerce site. And that led to probably me, several months after that, we raised a million dollars. Wow. That's fascinating. You know, there are four things that you mentioned in there that seem so consistent with so many people that I speak to. So whether it's, um, you know, these are themes, but one, the lemonade stall. <laughs> Just about every entrepreneur has their version of the lemonade stall, which I think is, you know, that really early start, that drive and ambition. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs seem to have dyslexia or other learning challenges. So whether that gives some of that drive and determination as well. Single mum is definitely one that is very common in my interviews and I it gives me hope for my children as a single mother that they are growing up with that example and then serendipity is you know there's always a very healthy dose of serendipity which it sounds like found you as well um, so when that came along that meeting was there a community built already was he investing in the idea or he was investing because he could see that you had a strong following and a community already? So we did have a community. Now, understand that communities in 1998, 99, even 2000, 2001, were, were not what we talk about today in the sense of size. But I was building the community through the message board. And it, and it candidly was not easy. And you know, I, I hear a lot of people talking about how to build your tribe and how to build online communities. And I sort of laugh, Kate, because nothing's really changed. What, what, what we did, well, I'll be honest what I did. What I did was I registered myself to be 20 people in the forum. I'm exaggerating only slightly. And I realized, well, for weeks, we had, we actually had to build a message board. We had to program the message board. You, you couldn't, 
just buy software back then. And it, it was clumsy, but it was. It was just like the the BBSs or what they were called. And I it was really getting demoralizing. I mean, you imagine going back to that site every day, every morning, and seeing if there's a message or a response or 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 something in that thread. And there and there wasn't for a long time. So what I realized was, and I had up until this point. Well, I still, I had not no quote unquote formal business training and there was no community. Like we were it back then on the internet. I mean, there was no, we shared ideas with one another. I mean, early in those days, you didn't register a domain name if you weren't going to use it because you felt like you shouldn't register it. And then that all changed, um, which, you know, maybe I kicked myself, but I did get some good ones. But, but back then, but what I did, what I realized was it's just like a restaurant. If you see a line out the door of a restaurant, whether or not you've read about it or anything, you're like, oh, that's a good restaurant. I'm going to, I want to go get in line. And I want to eat there. You don't want to eat in the restaurant that has nobody in it. You know, so what I realized was people were coming to this forum because I could see on the statistics back then wasn't Google Analytics. It was pulled the server logs and literally look at the, at the log. But people were going to the forum or message board, whatever you want to call it, but they weren't interacting and they weren't interacting because I had thought that they would start posting. I, I don't know why I thought that, but I didn't know why I didn't think it like I had no reference point. So what I did eventually was, is I started asking questions and I got a bunch of fishing books that some of which I had and some of which I bought, I would just ask myself a question and then I would answer it by reading the book and I would create these. And, and, you know, my mom says I talked to myself as a kid with invisible friends. So quite candidly, it was really easy. Um, really wasn't that far from where I'd been. But, the, and then what I did was I, I don't think it was on purpose. What I did was I used to fish all the time. So I started posting very good fishing reports with gen, the general area, the tide, uh, we fish in the, at that time I was fishing in the Chesapeake Bay, which is a tidal uh, bay and tides matter, the time of day matters, the, a lot of things and the fish move, a lot of things matter. And then I started to get a few people. And what I did is I made sure that anytime someone posted within minutes, if I was near a dial up connection or at school, I would answer. And that's how the community got started. And it, and it took a while, candidly. Um, but once it got to a certain place, it really was a flywheel. I also mentioned that those people that came to the site didn't just randomly come to the, didn't randomly come to the site. Back then, the internet community, if you will, was so small that I used to go to AOL chat rooms write down my wife and I on legal pads, all of the usernames, which were their email address back then, of every single person we'd see in a chat room in, in the fishing chat rooms at night. And I would email them all, say that I saw them and tell them about a site I was building. And that was our email marketing strategy. And that's how people found out about the site. And then it was word of mouth. And then once 
people realized that they could come to the forum and get good information and get answers, you know, they told other people. So that that's really, we did no formal advertising. Actually, even until I sold the site, because I had bought it back from investors, which is continuation of the story, but I did buy it back from the investors when the market crashed in 2001 and eventually sold it to a large media company. But even to the day that I sold it, we were spending less than $50 a month on, on advertising. It was all word of mouth. And um, the other thing I did to that community, Kate, was I was really, for you and I were talking about some things that we're, we're each working on. And I had mentioned that I might limit my email list that I currently have to 10,000 and that's it. Like then you can get on a waiting list. But I always had that stringent, approach. I, I don't know why looking back, but it was smart. So I didn't let anyone in the in the middle and end years, I didn't let anyone into that community that had a a free email address. And if they had a free email address, meaning, you know, up until the time I sold it, Gmail, Yahoo, uh, AOL, if it wasn't, if it was one of those, they had to email me and I would then validate that they were a real person. And what that did is it kept the community really clean. It was a lot of work. It, I mean, it, when I sold the site, we had 67,000 registered users, which isn't a lot, but that's 60, that, 67,000 real people. I think 75% of the people were visiting the site at least once every three months and the average stay was 12 minutes. I mean, it was, it was a, a it was a real community, but it took that diligence to make it that way and to keep it clean. Cause you know, even, even back then there was a lot of spam. I think what's really interesting about that, those early days that you just talked about, cause it's the same for every community is that often there is um, it's not manufactured from a manipulative perspective, but it's manufactured in that you've got to build those relationships one by one. And I think often people nowadays in particular with paid media think community, they think they can just pay for it. They can bring people together, but it's those genuine relationships that truly spark whatever that original um, idea is for a, a community. And it's only when you do what you've talked about that you start to foster those relationships between people. And I think the other really interesting thing that you mentioned is the, you know, your community is not for everybody. And so you were really stringent or diligent about making sure they were real people. And that adds an enormous amount of credibility and authenticity to a community, which nowadays can often be filled with a lot of white noise, not just the you know, the core community members. And I, and I think it's really hard for entrepreneurs to do that. And, and, it, and it's still to this day hard for me. And the reason is, is because you're driven by the numbers. And well, I think it's hard for entrepreneurs to do that if they're driven by the numbers. But there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are driven by the people that they serve. But I would say that there's more driven by the numbers than there are <laughs> the, the human connection. But the there's communities that flourish. There's are, always that metric. I think there's always that metric that, that even the people like, even the people that serve, there's always, there's outside pressure. But if there's some people that do that, God bless them, because that is super hard. It really is. Well, the communities that I work with and that I come across that really flourish, 
legitimately are focused on the human beings that are in that community. And the metrics are a byproduct and they're always very successful because they've managed to do that first part. But I understand Silicon Valley isn't always, um, that's not always the starting point for investors. <laughs> no, I, I think the, I think that the, I think everybody wants that magic pill and with all of the writing that people write about and how you can outsource things and get your VA and do this and do that. You, you can't outsource human connections. And my exact words, <laughs> well, you, you, you can't. And, and even if you, you will not outsource it, you, you can't even, I try, I've tried, I've tried because I, I believe you got to scale yourself from the businesses that I have sold that you do have to delegate, but there's some things that you just can't delegate. The newsletter that I write now, I realize you cannot, nothing's changed. That's why I said earlier, nothing's changed from the early days. We just have better technology that's easier and faster. But if you want to build a community, you really have to have those personal connections. The other thing I am interested in your thoughts on, Kate, in your experience is what I've found to have a thriving community, one that is interactive, is that there has to be some dynamic that creates urgency or it changes. And what I mean by that for us, an example in the fishing world was, was that I did try to get into freshwater fishing. Now in freshwater fishing, the fish don't move as much. So if you give away a spot, you you would you would burn it so to speak it would be you know everybody would be in that fishing hole and there'd be no more fish and in the salt water that's very different the weather changes the tides change the the fish move so what i found was was that our freshwater forums just would not really take off that well they would they would they were willing to take talk about a lure and general fishing things but there wasn't this huge interaction or need to come back because no one was telling those spots and in the freshwater there was. And, you know, that was a fail fast or whatever you want to call it for us, but it was trying that. And then that's eventually how we found what the, what the real market was. But it, you know, I think the same thing is true about the, the stock market, stock market changes every day. So there's always this news to come back with, with metrics. I think one that my wife is really involved in and I'm involved in in a different way is bike riding. So my wife's on Peloton and the Peloton community is absolutely insane. I mean, the, the groups that I see her in, in Facebook, which they use Facebook groups is just, it's just nonstop. And the reason is because they're doing a new ride every day. They're doing, they're, they're making progress. Mine is, uh, I do road biking, so I'm on Strava, and that community is strong because everybody's putting up miles and, and doing that. The ones, if you're doing personal crises, I, I am a psychologist. I did eventually finish my master's degree in psychology. Um, the ones about crisis and things I think are good because people, people really need help, and they're willing to come back. And, and talk about that. I think the challenges there are is, is that you get churned because hopefully people get better. And if they do, they cycle out of your community. So um, 
what do, I'm interested, you have a ton of experience helping a lot more people in the sense of community and, and tribes, what you found. I think there always has to be a really big common purpose in order for community to work. That sounds like I'm stating the obvious, but I think a lot of people try to manufacture community because they have a defined outcome. They're trying to sell something. They're trying to make the most of technology that's available when it's not really a fit. And so it always comes back to what's that burning need, the common purpose, whatever brings those people together. And sometimes it's about life stages. Like I know some of the most valuable groups that I've been have been around parenting stages. You know, when I was pregnant, I was in pregnancy groups and there were things that I learned and found out there. Now that my kids are five and seven, I'm in different groups and communities because of the age of my children. Um, so when it comes to identifying that so many communities start and miss that point and they can accumulate numbers but we often talk about is it really community or is it an audience and if it's an audience it's a two-way conversation but the brands the businesses the the um, organizations that can kind of move themselves out of the middle of that conversation and then allow those connections to happen between people that's when you really start to get that sense of of community. And as you found, you know, with saltwater fishing, there was a really big need that that fulfilled. Um, and I imagine that had some focused work being done on it and you really wanted to determine what it was for freshwater fishing, you could have found some commonality or some benefit that building a community there would have, would have had. I think so. I, 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 I think what I, well, what I'll say is, is back then I was so poor that I was looking for something that, that was going to make money in a, in a, in a, I don't say fat, I wasn't trying to make money fast. I was just, I was just trying to build a business and it was really hard. So I think, I think you're right. There, there were some successful freshwater forums out there. I think for me, one of the things that I think you you said before we came on here is like or you even asked me is like what lights you up the things that those forums discussed were not something that i got excited about and i think you know it's probably the truth is i could have found something there but the good news is is i found uh for better or for worse a market where those anglers spent the most money and we could we we had three i think the other thing about community is, is how you monetize it. For us, we monetize that community with membership, with advertising, and with e-commerce. And it was, when, when I sold the company, it was about a third each. And I used the membership to, because those were the hardcore fans and there was thousands of them, but they were the hardcore, they were willing to pay. And then the advertisers for the people who wanted to come for free, who I thought could benefit and we may become a member of the community. We can make money at a high CPM back then. And then the e-commerce was easy because if you built a brand, I think that's another thing. People want to build tribes around them, their personal brands. And I just don't think that's a, I think it's a strategy. It's not one that I as an entrepreneur like because it revolves too much around you. And maybe some people, that's the point, but I like to build brands that can potentially have an exit, not because you're building something to sell it, but 
because eventually, you know, you may get tired of it or worn out and you may want to have an exit. What's really interesting, I think, about what you've just said, um, Brandon, is when we're working with community, we're always looking for what's the human element. How do you show up and be human? And so there's this real tension between building a brand around the people who are involved or the personalities that are involved and building a business. Um, I think it's, it's interesting about the different types of journeys that communities take because a lot of them start in really different ways they're not all engineered and manufactured for the you know for a business case and in fact my favorite communities to work with are people who accidentally grow a tribe and then don't really know what to do with it Um, and you know we get in there and help them really work on how to either turn that into a sustainable business model or help to marry that in because I think a lot of communities can sit a bit separate to the core business objectives. So they're interesting, very interesting questions to ask. And I don't think there's kind of a formula really that works for every community. It's it's very different for every community. I, I agree. I think the what I've seen over two decades is this pattern. And I think the key, if you want to have a successful community, is to not make the people the product. Now, having said that, it costs money to run these things. I mean, they're, they're, they can, even, even in today's modern technology where you can get the servers and whatnot, they, they're, still, they're still rather expensive. So you're going to have to make money. I think when, when I built the fishing site, Worldwide Angler, and then it became Tidalfish, I never made the people the product so to speak, what I said was, if we don't make money, this will go away because I am not, I am not running a nonprofit. And what I realized was, was the core group understood it and wanted to support it. In fact, people wanted to support that community so much that I would get checks in the mail of people donating to be, to, to make sure that that happened. Our classified ads we charged for but there was no online processing. I had an honor system and it had a little chart and it said, you pay 1% or sort of like eBay and people would send the checks in and pay more. And it was because they understood it. So I, I tried to make it that, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it and candidly besides the money benefited greatly from the relationships and the people that I met that to this day are, are lifelong friends. And, and I think it's a, it's one of those things, I don't know, as you were talking, Kate, I was thinking to myself, you know, anybody who wants to build a community or tribe or whatever you want to call it, you should be ready for hard work and you should like to interact with people genuinely because the people recognize if it's just a sales gimmick to build a lead, to put them into your funnel. And I think that's what's happened. I've seen happen in this cycle, it always happens on the internet in different waves. But I think, you know, too many people got sold on put people in your funnel. How about just serve people and solve their problem and and work on that versus trying to sell them something that, you know, might not be exactly what they wanted or, or you know, that's not a community. I don't know what, the, that's a sales funnel. 
Well, and I think there's a whole lot of people rocking under the table at the moment with some of the changes in targeting that's happening with paid media. So those who've really understood community and built community over time from a genuine uh place of you know filling a need meeting their problem challenge objective whatever that is are the ones that are riding out all of these bumps at the moment when it comes to changes in paid media so Brandon tell me some of the strategies that you used or the tools that you used what what do you put the success down to when it came to building your community um from a from the technology standpoint we change technologies. I mean, new new people are coming out with incredible software now that that you can leverage. I will say, and this might not answer your question specifically, but but somewhat is is that I always wanted and made sure that I owned the platform that my community was on, and it it's just one of these things that people don't want to hear. I was. They, they don't want to hear it, but if you use Facebook and you're going to build a community there, you're building it on their nickel, on their dime. It costs money to run that thing. And they're going to eventually charge you to reach those people. Or they're going to charge you a membership fee that's going to be really expensive that nobody wants to pay. And what I realized is early, early on is that you've got to run and own your own platform and and Today, our platform is WordPress and then a bunch of add-ons that we, that we add on along with, you know, I don't think email is going away for a long time. Um, but if you don't have that email list and you have a community, if you have a community on Instagram, let's say, and you have X amount of followers and that's what you're using to manifest your community and you are not getting those people either on your email list or in your own forum of some capacity. Uh, WordPress has a very simple one. It's not the best one out there, but it, it works. Um, I'm really just talking about interacting. Then you will lose your community and you will be very, very hard to get them back. So um, as it relates to technology, I've always used a piece of whatever that technology is, is to get people on that platform and to have them in an environment that, not that we controlled, but at least no one was going to charge us to access the community that was following us. Because even a thriving community that doesn't get the alerts in today's day and age with, you know, 5 million other alerts that they got going off on their phone and God knows where else, you know, it's, it's hard to remember. So I think though it has to be a combination of both because if you only launch an online community on your own website, finding the people to join that community, you either pay to go find them or you need to be where there are other groups of people that are resonating around a similar challenge, cause, product, purpose, whatever that is that's bringing them together. So it's interesting because it can't be one or the other. Absolutely, I agree. You need to be building a list and owning some part of the relationship that you have. But for these, you know, particularly young influencers who are jumping on TikTok and on Snapchat and doing all the, the cool things the cool kids are doing nowadays, who's got time for that when you're 40 plus, <laughs> um, you know, they're building their communities 
using those public platforms, which leads them to more of their ideal community. And this is how all of that organic um, relationship and community building happens is through those social media platforms. And you just can't do that on your own platforms without a, a really large ad budget. So I think for most people, it needs to be a combination of both some kind of public uh, engagement strategy where they're out on social media platforms, building a community and making sure that they're putting the scaffolding around that relationship with email, with maybe moving them into a different kind of forum on their own website. I don't, I don't disagree with you. I mean, we found a lot of people, like I said, in the AOL chat rooms, I just, I, it's, you, you've got to have a conscious strategy because one day that all Otherwise these TikTok, it's a hobby. Yeah. And the TikTok, when you have a million people on TikTok and all of a sudden TikTok decides that they need to monetize that platform, which they will. And then you all of a sudden can't figure out why you don't have 50,000 likes anymore and you only have 2,000 and now you're in trouble. Yeah. And it happens with every single platform. Like I have, with the fish. You got to <laughs> go with the fish out. You better get people somehow channeled there. But I, I agree with you 100%. It definitely needs to be a combination. The buying into your audience, I'm not a fan of. Um, in, unless you have a real value ladder and you have your economics worked out, which rarely have I seen entrepreneurs be able to show me the Excel spreadsheet. And, you know, without that Excel spreadsheet, with that modeling, you can call me a geek, but you're going to probably waste a lot of money. So I think it's really tough. Um, as you were saying it, my, my internal response was, yeah, you're just going to have to go in yourself and start picking them off one by one. And that sounds terrible, but you know, or not, not it doesn't sound terrible. It sounds hard versus doing a crazy trick and showing your belly button and getting 50,000 extra followers. But, um, you know, it, it, you have to ask yourself, I guess you have to ask yourself, what, what are you trying to do or why are you doing it? Um, and Absolutely. what you want to get all comes back to purpose. <laughs> So are there any other words of wisdom, Brandon, you've got before we start wrapping up around building community and how you continue to serve that community or integrate that with a, a solid business model? I, I would just encourage people that if it feels hard, it is hard. If you don't genuinely like the community and you're simply doing it to monetize it, that's not a very good recipe for success. I would also say that it is better, in my opinion, to own a small market than it is to be just one in a huge market. And I made that mistake for all listeners out there saying, oh, that's great advice, Brandon. Um, I made the mistake when Worldwide Angler, Worldwide Angler was Worldwide Angler. We covered the United States and five international destinations and we spread ourselves too thin. The community didn't work as well because we didn't own, so to speak, I don't, I don't mean you own the people, but you you own your topic. And we didn't own a region. And when I bought it back from the investors, all we did was focus on one region. And, and I, I promised myself that I would stay in that community and, and build the absolute best community there ever was in that region. And, you know, it worked out, it, it, it made money 
in the years that I had it. And then it made a lot more money when, when we sold it. And I would just encourage people to do that. I know it's hard. And I know it's hard, especially when in today's day and age, if you don't have, have 10,000 Instagram users, you're not considered like legit. Um, you know, and I know that all that pressure is hard, but I can tell you that if you have 5,000 or 2,000, or I, I read an article the other day where somebody has a newsletter with like a thousand people, that's all, all she had on it. And she's, she replaced her paycheck and has this thriving community. So, you know, if, if you use the email analogy, it's better to have a thousand people with an 80% open rate than it is. 5 million with a 1% open rate. So I encourage people to, to stay focused on that. I know it can be hard um, to do, but also in, in, enjoy it. I mean, the community probably got started because you had some theme within you that you wanted to either satisfy or you had a question or you had a need that you wanted to help people. So don't, don't lose sight of that. It can, it, um, it can, it can happen. You can lose sight of it. So tell us what you're working on at the moment, Brandon, and how people can connect with you. Well, I'm building another community, Kate, and it's been a, <laughs> slow and steady. Um, I actually never got to publish a print newsletter. So I decided to, long story short, to print and publish a monthly newsletter. And we do that called Build a Business Success Secrets that's designed for entrepreneurs who want real information on business, health, uh, mastering your mind, and investing. Because I, I found that a lot of, uh, well, I found myself and, and a lot of other colleagues out there who are entrepreneurs who make the money and then don't know how to invest the money. So write the newsletter with real information. We put it out monthly and we started publishing it this last month. So we started with four pages. It was a four-page print newsletter. And this last month, we had 16 pages. And I think this month will probably be 20 or 24. Uh, although my director of operations says that we are not doing that. But uh, I keep writing and I'm, I, I'm building a community. I'm writing what I would want to read because I, I haven't found much like I did when I was looking for a fishing magazine out there and I couldn't find it that satisfied what I was looking for. I haven't been able to find most recently an entrepreneur magazine, if you will, or small business owner or small medium-sized business owner, basically maybe you know under 100 million in revenue. Once you're 100 million plus, you're a different type of CEO, you're a different type of founder, you're in a different role. But under that, um, I haven't found anything that that's real. I found a lot of inspirational sort of things, but I don't need to be inspired. I need information that I can put into action to make my business better. And that I find interesting in the lifestyle that we all live, which is, which is much different than the mainstream. So where um, all great businesses come from is they fill their own gap. <laughs> well, I, I heard that. I, Actually, the excuse I've been using, Kate, you can tell me, but some people say that you should understand, and I went to business school as well, where I spent a lot of money to be taught this, but they say, find your perfect avatar and all this stuff. And well, in, in business school, they don't completely do that because they teach you to be a manager. But 
um, when you're learn, trying to be learning to be an entrepreneur, they say, find your perfect avatar. But I was listening to an interview a while ago by, um, with Elon Musk. And they said, well, why did you buy? I think it's the, the Y or the S. It's the big sedan Tesla car four-door. And they said, well, how did you design that? And he said, I just built it for me. And I figured there'd probably be a few other people. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And that's what I'm doing. And we don't have, uh, just for listeners out there, uh, we've been going not quite a year. We only, I say only, but I feel like it's just so much because we had zero a year ago. We have 120 subscribers. And, you know, that, that that's not a huge number. In fact, it's really peanuts compared to all this social media stuff. But the people write me, like I can talk to them. And, you know, that, that has some, some purpose for me. And people are learning like, oh my God, you know, this thing, this article you wrote on XYZ just made a difference and really changed how I thought about it. So for me, uh, it's been fun. Before you know it. Well, we'll see if it only stays at 120, I'll, I'll be happy that 120 people are getting real information that, and I can actually talk to them. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brandon, for your time today. Where do people find you if they're wanting to connect? The best place is just uh, my website at Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-C white.com. That's Brandon C white.com or my newsletter is at B as in business success secrets.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Brandon. It's been great speaking with you today. Thanks a lot, Kay. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on the Social Lights podcast produced by Social Mediology. You can connect with us on Facebook at Social Lights Podcast and you can find today's show notes and more episodes at socialmediology.com.au forward slash social lights. Please subscribe in your favourite podcast platform to receive future episodes and share with your tribe to inspire others to action.